Do you want to learn apologetics but become bogged down by weighty terms and philosophical concepts? Do you want to learn how to defend your faith but you don't have the time and finances to afford seminary training? If this describes you, then the layman's manual on Christian apologetics is for you. Written with a layperson in mind, the layman's manual on Christian apologetics defends the rationality of the Christian faith in terms accessible to everyone while adding practical insights and humorous stories. Gary Habermas has added a foreword to the work in which he describes the need for apologetics in the church. Full of useful resources, the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics discusses the essence of truth and how you can know what is true before defending the existence of God, talking about the problem of evil, miracles, then noting the historical reasons for believing that Jesus' resurrection was an authentic event of history, and also describing how you can trust the words of the New Testament. I am pleased to announce that the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is now available at withandstock.com and at amazon.com. I appreciate it, and may God bless. Listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology in the, into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. My name is Curtis Evelo. And I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day. Good to be with you on here, Curtis. Yeah, Brian, it's good to have you. Um, we got uh, something that's uh, been uh, exciting news. We see the layman's manual is on the climb in the, in the apologetics books on Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. I checked it today uh, before heading out to our evening uh, worship service, and uh, it's up to twenty sixth. You know, it's uh, we, we were talking last week that uh, about how nice it would be to uh, for it to get in the top twenty or uh, top fifty, and now it's twenty six. So I'm gonna go ahead and say, man, it'd be nice for it to be in the top ten and see if that works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See what happens yeah, with been, that. It's been quite uh, quite fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was good. Um, I know uh, there's a few that a uh, few reviews left on it now and stuff. So it looks like they're all five stars. So I'm I'm pretty excited for for the for how fast it's climbing. And absolutely, and as as we've been mentioning to the to the book launch team, uh, my prayer is mainly. I mean, of course, when you whenever you write a book or anything like this, you you want it to be a success. But my biggest thing is, uh, as I hope and pray that this will be a resource for individuals. Um, 
more than the book sales, more than the rankings, but that it would be something like what Lee Strobel's book was to was to me, The Case for Christ, and Josh and Sean McDowell's books, uh, as they bless my heart, and uh, Gary Habermas, William Lane Craig, the list goes on and on, that it would be a resource for both the church, uh, for those who may be struggling with their faith as believers, and even for those who may be seeking answers uh, for the Christian faith, or, or to see whether Christianity is rational or not, and and so my prayer is that God would use it for His glory. Right, right, yeah, yeah, and and uh, it looked like we had a few uh, good quotes to be able to start uh, uh, getting put out on on uh, Facebook and out on some of the streams and see where that goes. Absolutely. We're blessed here at Westfield Baptist Church with a wonderful secretary. Tricia Lowe is her name, and she just amazes me with how good she is about uh, creating memes and graphics. I mean, I, my feeble attempt is is nothing like what she's come up with. So she's just uh, kudos to her. She does a wonderful job with that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's uh, been quite fun. Uh, so... Uh, on the docket today, we have uh, it's tis the season, it's Christmas time, and it's upon us. So it seems fitting to uh, discuss uh, Saint Nick, Saint Nicholas, the real Saint Nick. Absolutely. So, uh, so with, with this, we're kind of got a little bit, uh, you know, we want to know a little bit about the history of why um, why we celebrate. Uh, Christmas the way we do or have have St. Nicholas as as part of uh, the Christmas celebration um, and, and I think it's rather fitting um, which what we've come up with today so let's get into it and uh, look at these uh, uh, questions are you up for it absolutely looking forward to it all right so number one is there a real Santa Claus <laughs> Well, yes and no. Um, <laughs> the, 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 there is a real Saint Nicholas, and uh, th- things have been added. So, so no, we're not advocating for what many people believe to be what we're talking about here. But, but there, there was a real Saint Nicholas, and uh, his name was uh, Nicholas of Myra. Uh, I actually wrote a, uh, an article on this on this very issue. I updated the article this week, and. Uh, I uh, had written one several years ago, and uh, this is really getting traction online, it seems like. But uh, Nicholas is part of a group of individuals that we would call the Patristic Fathers. And um, the Patristic Fathers were a group of early Christians dating from the, their second-generation Christians. So, so from the second-generation Christians up until about the 7th to ninth century, depending on who you ask. But normally around the 7th to ninth century, uh, these these group of uh, early Christian theologians these are considered uh, the the church fathers or or the patristics as many people call them and uh, Nicholas is one of the more popular saints in the Greek and Roman churches. Um, the, the the problem is is the information we have about him is really scant at best, but we can know certain things about his life. Um, not with extreme confidence, not like we can know with the resurrection of Jesus and, and the life and history of Jesus of Nazareth, but we, we can have good um, reasons to believe that it, that it's based on some truth, at least. Uh, so it appears that Nicholas was born in, um, in a, in a Lycian seaport uh, town called Patara in Asia Minor around 280 B.C., born to a wealthy family, and uh, he became... Um, he. he uh, Left out, left to uh, study abroad, 
uh, took a tour of uh, Israel and Egypt uh, early on in his life and studied alongside the Desert Fathers. These were a group of, uh, of uh, early church theologians who uh, basically uh, wanted to study out in the wilderness uh, to be alone with God. And so these guys would include uh, individuals like Anthony the Great and, uh, and, and several other the Desert Fathers. So he learned from them, and then he comes back to um, a town uh, called Myra. He's elected the bishop of that area, and uh, this area is uh, what is known as uh, as the modern day uh, Dimri. I think is how you pronounce it, or Dimre. Uh, of course, now I've been mispronouncing your last name, so take that with a grain of salt. It may be it may be <laughs> pronounced differently than what I what I just said. But uh, this is a coastal town in modern day Turkey. Uh, one other thing about his life is is very interesting is that uh, he is uh, he was actually persecuted early on for his faith by the emperor Diocletian. He imprisoned Nicholas, and uh, it said that he endured regular beatings uh, for his faith, and he never recanted. He stayed true to the faith. And then, when Constantine rose to power and legalized Christianity, uh, he was he was freed, and then um, went into we you know went into uh, what we would call ministry today of course he was ministering even then but uh, uh, when he was released he was uh, back at the pastoral work mm-hmm. uh, do you know was he was he ever married you know that's a good question uh, I, I haven't come across anything that says in either direction now th- there were I believe some of the early uh, well well Going back to Simon Peter, we know Simon Peter was married because uh, they found uh, the, um, the the his house. I mean, the Bible even says that he had a mother-in-law. And last time I checked, you have to be married to have a mother-in-law. So, <laughs> so a lot a lot of these a lot of these early Christian uh, fathers were. I think some of them, at least, we could say were married. Uh, but I, that's a good question. I haven't read anything uh, in either direction as to about his uh, marital status. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So was he was he a, uh, a bishop or, or a, uh, any kind of a church leader before he uh, came down to uh, Myra or Myra? No, he was actually uh, when he returned uh, from from meeting up with these desert fathers, learning the scriptures from these gentlemen. Uh, he uh, he came back to Myra and then was ordained and uh, assumed the role of the bishop, which in, in many ways would be kind of comparable to what we would uh, call a pastor today. Uh, many times, in, and even in Paul's day, like the Church of Corinth, there may have been many house churches around, uh, but the, the overseer of the churches in general would be called the bishop, so to speak. So there are a lot of similarities to to uh, modern the modern church, and there are some differences there as well. But uh, he was kind of the overseer of these group of churches in this area called Myra. Hmm. Well, how did uh, Nicholas become associated with uh, gift giving? That's a very very good question, and it is really a fascinating story. Uh, Nicholas was known for his generosity. Now, there are some ties here with with the story that's told even today of St. Nick. Um, for instance, it is said that he wore these red robes and he donned a long white beard. Uh, and they actually even found, um, somehow or another, I don't know if they found some of his bones or if they found 
if they if they based it on some of the draw, drawings or what it is, but I think they they took something, maybe where they found his uh, skull or something like that, and, and reconstructed his face to what they think that he would have looked like. It's a very fascinating thing. It's online if you want to check it out. Now again, I can't verify whether you know how how truthful that image is, but it is fascinating to consider. But Nicholas is is known for his great generosity, and he especially loved. Uh, he, he loved uh, children. He's known for loving children. He was also known for, uh, again, coming from a wealthy family. He was known for, uh, as Christ tells us to do, to take care of the poor, to help those in need. Uh, he, he did. He took that very seriously. And there's one story uh, that's quite fascinating where there was this father uh, in, in his community there in Myra who, some, through some bad decisions, we don't know exactly what happened, but the fa- the father came under some very heavy financial straits, and uh, he was going to have to do something to keep the family alive. And he had three daughters that he would have to either sell to just so that they could survive, either into slavery, which would be not quite like what we think of slavery today, but uh, it's more of like an indentured servitude type of thing. Either that or prostitution. I mean, it was it was that sounds awful, but it was kind of a situation where. They were going to die if they didn't do something. And so Nicholas caught wind of this situation. And so the man had three daughters. So Nicholas walks by this house while the family is asleep. And the father has these shoes that are drying beside a a fire that he has going on in a stove. And so he takes a bag of gold and reaches through the window and tosses it into the shoe. Well, the father wakes up the next morning and sees that it's enough to pay the dowry for his first daughter. So he redeemed the first daughter from having to be sold into uh, uh, indentured servitude or to be a prostitute. The next night he did the same thing for the second daughter, and uh, no one saw him. But the third night, uh, some folks in the family stayed awake to kind of see what was going on, and they found out that it was Nicholas who was who was giving them the money to keep <laughs> the daughters from being sold into this indentured servitude, and they thanked him graciously many times over, noting that he was the benefactor of that. So it's also known that... Um, it is it's also said that he that he showed uh, great generosity to many people in his community and that's one of the reasons why his uh he had such a namesake and, and why he was such a, a famous uh early Christian because he, he did care for those in his community. And I think that says a lot for to us about uh this Christmas season about the need for for generosity. You know, a lot of times I think that we we focus so much on uh, gifts, giving gifts, and taking receiving gifts, and things of that nature that uh, we don't often think about the needs of others uh, or those who may be suffering. And and quite honestly, Curtis, to be honest with you, I, I've talked to several people who've told me that Christmas time is very difficult for them uh, because maybe they've lost their family, maybe they've lost some loved ones through death or separation or things of that nature and you know there's a lot of hurting people out there during the holiday season so it's important i think for us as christians to to uh, maybe maybe serve as you know maybe to learn a little bit from nicholas to to really help those in need and to really think about those who may be suffering during this time mm-hmm. right yeah and uh another question that i had here um was Nicholas at the Council of Nicaea in that time period? I see that, um, you know, that's right close to the, the Council of Nicaea time period. 
Yes, that's an excellent question. Now, <laughs> there's a very funny story that's that's associated with St. Nicholas. And w- while we're talking about following the actions of Nicholas, I don't know that we need to follow his actions on this story. In one way, yes, and another way, no. Uh, it, there's a little bit of a controversy surrounding this story, but but it, it's, uh, you know, again, we don't have a lot of information about Nicholas, but we have enough that we can kind of know some of the main facts about his life. But it, it's been said that uh, Nicholas of Myris, he did live during this time uh, around this Council of Nicaea. Uh, some of it, his name doesn't appear on some of the lists, but there may be a reason why he, it doesn't because it appears on some longer lists, but not on the shorter lists. And again, there may be a reason for that. Uh, so the Council of Nicaea, a lot of people misunderstand what this council is all about. The Council of Nicaea, first and foremost, was to decide who was right about the interpretation of the nature of Christ. So you had two guys. You had the main event going on. Athanasius of Alexandria. Uh, he, he was called the uh, Black Dwarf. He was, was dark skinned and was about five foot tall. I can appreciate that being five foot seven. So, <laughs> so, but, but, but anyhow, uh, he he was. What, what was that? I'm sorry. I was just going to say. Well, I'm one one inch under you, so I appreciate that too. <laughs> well, no wonder we get along so well. <laughs> <laughs> the, yep. the sad thing was I was five foot eight, but the doctor measured me last time and I've shrunk an inch. So <laughs> I, I may I may catch up with you here before give me another year, I may catch up with you. <laughs> well I'm not, not growing, so that's all right. <laughs> but uh but anyhow, yeah, so so you have Athanasius of Alexandria and, and so he is defending the 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 orthodox position, the Christian view that Jesus was divine, that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He understood that in John 1.1 to say that Jesus was uh, eternally God, God come in flesh. Well, you had Arius, a guy named Arius, also of Alexandria, who made famous this ancient Jehovah Witness uh, theology that Jesus was the first created being. So it's interesting that the the Jehovah Witness cult did not, but not there was an ancient Jehovah Witness cult, and I've often kind of wondered if Charles Taze Russell, the guy who started the Jehovah Witness movement, if maybe he was studying into Arius's writings or something of the sort. I, mean, I don't know that, but mm-hmm. but but it does make me kind of wonder. But uh, mm-hmm. but there's this there's this battle between between these two guys, uh, both but you know both of them. Um, well, Athanasius was actually exiled four times, and he was right in his theology, which shows sometimes we can be in the right and still be done wrong because of our faith, even by the church. But uh, and there, and there's a lot of interesting ways you can go with that story in and of itself. But uh, but the Council of Nicaea came and they and they found that uh, Athanasius of Alexandria was right in his interpretation. Well, Nicholas of Myra is believed to have been there. And and it said that Nicholas at one point in in the in the debate became so so irate with uh, Arius of Alexandria that he gets up 
even though he's a great man of generosity, and he transforms into a rocky move and and knocks out areas of Alexandria. <laughs> I mean, he just cold cocks them. And so <laughs> it's the story goes that they actually uh, defrocked him or they removed him from the council. Uh, they actually removed him from his position of, as a bishop for a little while, but, but he eventually was allowed to come back. Uh, he made his condolences, but he was allowed to come back. So I think that may be the reason why Nicholas's name doesn't appear on some some of the lists, but it appears on others. But uh, it, it is interesting. He took his faith very, very seriously. And, uh, and in, on, in his defense, you know, when he was going through the imprisonment period as he was, you know, it was his faith that, that got him through. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, that, that part of the story, uh, it does crack me up. Uh, um, you know, it's sometimes you just act out in some flesh. <laughs> Absolutely. And when it's like Paul says, you know, sometimes we, uh, we want to do certain things, but we don't want to do. We don't do the things we want to do, and we end up doing the things we don't want to do. So that's that fleshly nature sometimes that comes out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I see or I heard that uh, there's a Nicholas feast day. So when is Nicholas uh, Nicholas's feast day, and uh, who came up with it? That's a good question there as well. So Nicholas dies on uh, December 6th of 343 in Myra. So it appears that he uh, he, he was, uh, you know, he, he came from, he, he was born in a small town. He, he lived his life in a small town, he, and he died in a small town. But, but he became legendary because of his great generosity. So I think there's another principle you can draw from his story, that no matter if you come from a big city or small town, you know, what you do for Christ matters, and it makes an impact on those around you. Uh, for whenever you do something for Christ. So, yeah, December 6th became a feast day. This was implemented by the uh, church around the area because because so many people loved him uh, because of his generosity and because of uh, uh, who he was and what he stood for. And uh, did he do always do the right things? No, but none of us do. I mean, outside Jesus, Jesus is the only perfect person. We all make mistakes. But uh, the early church associated him with... Uh, well, they had this feast day in remembrance of him on December 6th of 343. And uh, over time, as the legend grew and developed, especially as it went through Europe, uh, since December 6th was uh, his feast day and then December 25th was Christmas, uh, the, the two days were kind of combined over time. In fact, I think Martin Luther may have been one of the first ones, the Protestant reformer Martin Luther may have been one of the first ones to... Uh, to, to do just that. So uh, it's, it's a very interesting story, and even the history uh, afterwards is, is very fascinating to see how it grows and develops. Hmm. Yeah. Hey. Or, or the, 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 the legend of Santa Claus is coming up, or St. Nicholas coming up, how, uh, you know, he's, he's dropping the gifts or the, or the dowry uh, in the window next to the fireplace, and and he's he's being very generous and giving to uh, people uh, of his of his community. Um, it's it's kind of a it's kind of neat to see how the story is starting to tie things together a little. It, it really is. I mean, I mean, especially it for me. I think the uh, the historical story of Saint Nicholas. 
of Myra is is uh, even more fascinating than than the legend that grew from him. Uh, you know, because I think there are a lot of good principles that we can extract from from his life and uh, and and what he did. I think there's a lot of things we can learn from his life. Interesting, yeah, and it's the story that um, you know we're going to be sharing with uh, with our kids. Um, as we get closer to to Christmas time, as we sit and actually ponder and think about things, we're gonna we read through uh, you know Luke. We'll uh, read through the beginning of that and start and start having some discussions. But uh, I think this is one that uh, I'll definitely pull off the internet and we'll go ahead and uh, start discussing that. You know, it's interesting you said said that because I uh, I've heard a phone going off. <laughs> it's interesting you said that that uh, yeah. I think that uh, that there have been several people who've mentioned something very similar to that. Yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be fun to to actually talk to the kids and and actually get uh, uh, get their feedback on this and see how they can maybe tie it up with their little brains and uh, figure out how how some of this kind of how this story come together. Kind of interesting because uh, you think about it, shoes. And socks, and uh, you know the legend or or our tradition is to put socks on the on the fireplace mantle, um, you know, it, it, their stockings. You know, it's it's pretty that's pretty neat how that all kind of comes together. And so, and, and even the Christmas tree, for, from uh, my, from my understanding, Martin Luther even developed that because of he developed a symbol somehow or another about the tree that being evergreen or something of that sort. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Again, it's just interesting to study the history behind this. You know, I know different people have different interpretations about different things about Christmas, but it's from for me. Uh, being kind of a, a historian, so to speak, it, it's it's really interesting to to see the development of some of these ideas and and the development of of, of how things uh, came to be over time, uh, how they actually happened, and then how they developed over time. Right, I think it's I think it's uh, it's rather neat how. Uh, we can tie some of this together, like what you're saying, but it also gives us um, for these uh, sacred times to start recognizing um, and and start paying attention. What you know, these people were doing um, wonderful uh, charitable things to for people in their community, and uh, it really helps us be able to. Uh, understand God's God's love and heart in 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 giving absolutely and it's like the passage of scripture where Jesus says so if you uh, get, give a, a cup of water in my name you know you've, you've done it unto me or if you give somebody something you've done it for me so I, I think that says a lot about uh, you know ste- steering us into that, because quite honestly, you know, it seems like today. I mean, it's 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 becoming a more individualistic world where where people look out after number one. And I think it's good to take to step back and take a look at a person like Nicholas, someone who was very generous, and and um, to 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 go out and help individuals, especially this time of the year. 
uh, when when people can become depressed. I mean, the suicide rates are at all are usually the highest around the Christmas holidays, and so just to consider the needs of others during this period of time, I th- I think is a great lesson we can all learn, including most of all myself. Mhm, mhm. Yeah, you know, and uh, and I really I, during this time of the year, um, I struggle with people feeling um, uh, feeling that they need to be obligated to give uh, gifts out of just just to give. Absolutely. And it's or or I mean not just to give, but just to uh, um, feel like they need to one up or be. Uh, <laughs> You know, come come with four gifts. My neighbor comes with five. You know, and so on and so forth. But it, 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 to me, that that's that is really actually um, defeating the purpose of actually caring for one another the way that it's actually supposed to be. Yes, ab- absolutely. Most certainly, it becomes kind of a competition in the end to see who can give the best gift, and that obviously that's uh, that, like you say, that's defeating the purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, how did Nicholas become known as Santa Claus, the infamous Santa Claus? The, <laughs> well, there again, it's it's uh, he became one of the famous saints um, d- during the three hundreds. It, it developed, it lingered by. In fact, uh, his they had an ancient practice. It's really bizarre. Well, they would try to take uh, the bones of these ancient individuals, and they would take them and they would put them in a box or put them somewhere, and then say, "Hey, we have the bones of this saint." And so they say his bones are probably pretty much scattered all over Europe and <laughs> in Asia. You know, unfortunately, just because the way the some of the ancients did, uh, it was kind of a bizarre practice. But you know, I say that you know, hundred years from now, I'm sure they're going to say some of our practices were really weird. So hopefully. They won't say that about the Bellator Christian podcast, but you know, <laughs> I'm sure they'll say that about some of the practices we do. But, um, but so yeah, the, the legend was there. The, uh, the, the he was known for the generosity, and he was one of the most admired uh, Christian saints of antiquity. And then over time, um, you you had in Europe the development of uh, like this is the Saint Nicholas. Uh, motif was there. Individuals were thinking about this saint, and then, and then it kind of developed into a uh, center clause, and then that was uh, later uh, d- developed into Santa Claus. Uh, so, so Claus coming from Nicholas and Santa meaning saint. So Santa Claus means Saint Claus, which is referring to Saint Nicholas. So, and then, mm. and then through some commercialization, I, I don't really have all the details in front of me right now, but uh, there was some commercialization. There were some writings that that pictured this saint uh, coming in on uh, riding, you know, sleigh with reindeers and stuff like that. So it kind of grew over time, uh, you know, with the development of. Uh, uh, of, of these of, of these stories and and then the commercialization uh, that happened uh, especially in America and then and then the West uh, it, it developed into the story we see today but it is interesting that, that if you go back you see some roots and some connections uh, even among the modern story with with the ancient one mm-hmm. so just a question that I have with it and looking at this, um, trying to trying to pull back, how long did the legend of Saint Nicholas last before it became uh, what, like what you said, uh, commercialized um, into the modern knowing of Saint uh, Santa Claus that we know him now? 
That's a good question. Unfortunately, I don't have all the details on that. I do know that that we even see Christian reformer Martin Luther. Uh, he he really popularized in Germany uh, the giving of gifts. Uh, going back to this whole Saint Nicholas story and combining it with the Christmas story, saying that you know Jesus gave the ultimate gift, and uh, and that is. Uh, you know, of course, the gift of salvation and in him coming to be one of us, the incarnation, which would lead to, you know, lead to the Easter story, you know, crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus. And so he actually had some of these practices even in uh, the time of the Reformation that he was developing. But, but the story of Nicholas, St. Nicholas, really was passed along from generation to generation. It was uh, documented by uh, some, some, uh, some early writers and uh, and uh, the, the details, the basic details of Nicholas's life, but but the story of his generosity really passed on from generation to generation. But it was after Luther. It was around. Uh, I, I'm guessing, like I said, I, here I'm, I'm going to have to guess because I don't have the exact details. But I'm going to say around the 17, especially 1800s, the story grew, and in the 1900s, it really took root um, in uh, in the West. But uh, it's around that period of time that uh, you see you see the story uh, becoming more legendary, more morphed into the story that we see today. Uh, so it, it probably held uh, it probably, you know, 325, three, what is um, on up to uh, probably 17, early 1700s. So you know, you're looking at uh, 1350 to 1400 years. Absolutely, and and that's the thing about the saints. I mean, because I I think uh, as you know, and I like it. Don't get me wrong, I'm a Protestant through and through, but I think a lot of times where where the church was strengthened in ancient times as opposed to now is is they really held a strong tie with with their history, and. And, and I, I've spoken to some Roman Catholics about this, and, and I'm not advocating Catholicism on this. Don't don't get me wrong, but I think we need to be fair. And I've asked them about about the saints, and different people are different ways. I'm not saying this is true of everyone, but I was explain. It was explained to me that 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 the saints aren't re, aren't worshipped; they're just respected, and they're held in in a matter of um, of. As models to model what uh, individuals who lived exemplary lives, who who uh, serve as models, and I think models the way we should live, I guess you'd say, and I think Nicholas was one of these individuals. So when we call him a saint, we're all saints of God. If we're if we're washed by the blood of the Lamb, hey, we're a saint of God, yeah. and so. Um, Nicholas was an early right. saint in that regard, but he was revered for for his generosity, and and I think there's this connection with the history that I think we often lose in modern times. And as the old story goes, if if we don't remember our past, we're we're doomed to repeat it so many times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, last question: What can we learn from the from the real life of Santa Claus? Great question. I, I think what we can really take from Santa Claus. <laughs> let me go back. Saint Nicholas. <laughs> <My goodness. laughs> that, you got me on that one. <laughs> but what we can re- learn from the real Saint Nicholas is that uh, is that that this as I mentioned before, that we we should be people who are generous people as Christians, and 
one of the big things is I look at, you know, we, we both live in, and I'm, I'm assuming St. I mean, Ignatius, Montana is, is a small town. I know we're, we have a small town here in the Pilot Mountain area. And, you know, sometimes we can think, well, hey, we're living in a small area. You know, what kind of impact can we make? Well, St. Nicholas left a lasting impression on this uh, this area. I'm not sure how big Myra was. It may be bigger than I'm than I'm thinking, but um, it was a seaport town, so I'm sure he had connections with. Uh, it would be larger than most towns, but even still, it wasn't a Rome. It wasn't a Jerusalem. It wasn't an Alexandria or any place like that. But still, living in this small area, he made a lasting impact just by living out his faith. Uh, and I think we can see that. When we allow our beliefs to impact the way we think and the way we live, we're going to see a grand impact on the lives of others if we allow Christ to really truly be our Lord and to guide us in the way we should go. Right, right. Interesting. Well, I want to thank our listeners uh, and uh, thank them for listening in and and ask them to check in with us in the next uh, episodes as we discuss uh, Christian theology and, uh, and Christian apologetics. Thank you, Brian, for all that you do for us and, and what you've uh, done with this book. Appreciate you, and uh, we'll be uh, we'll be sure to be back on on there next week. Absolutely, but we appreciate you too. See you later. Bye bye. been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Did you know that you can help the Bellator Christian Ministries by simply leaving a review? If you are enjoying this podcast, help us out by leaving a positive review on the app where this podcast is found. This helps increase the exposure of the podcast and helps others find it more easily. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a review. If not, send me an email. Either way, we want to thank you for supporting BellatorChristie.com and the Bellator Christie Podcast.